Well, good morning. I wasn't quite ready for that. Good to see you. Hey, I'm excited this morning, and uh, um, I'm eager to jump into this series that we're starting here, uh, starting today. Uh, really, truly, because I have a, a hunch, I have a real sense that at the end of this thing, over the course of three weeks, that uh, some of you are going to experience what I would call a landmark moment. And what I mean by that is um, a landmark moment. I mean like a defining moment, a milestone, uh, something that divides time. You know, if you ever experienced that, there's, it's, it kind of stands as a marker. Before this one thing happened, there was life like this. And then after this marker, this landmark moment, life was like this. For example, when we all got our license, right? First time before we were chaperoned by our parents, right? That was okay. Went on a date with mom and dad. That's fun. But when you got your license, life from that moment on was different, right? You had freedom when you stood behind that wheel. When you got married, right? You were single, you were searching, and, and all of a sudden, like, life was this way. And then when you got married, all that freedom was gone, right? It was gone. <laughs> and then when you got kids, right, before, when you had kids, before you had kids, all of a sudden you have a kid, and there's that beautiful moment. And then the freedom that you thought that you had, didn't have, like, all of a sudden, all of that is gone, too. And so, truly, I believe that this will be a monumental landmark moment, potentially, for some of us. Uh, uh, when I prayed a prayer years ago, uh, one of these moments, landmark moments for me, was when I was at a, a camp called Cedar Springs growing up. It was a church camp, and I remember going there, and I remember being under this huge tent, and one night, uh, the preacher, who I thought was amazing because he said the word dude over and over and over again, right? He's like, dude, you got to read the Bible, dude. This is just great, dude. And I'm like, dude, this guy's awesome, right? And so I loved it. And this guy, I remember kneeling down in the, in the, in the sawdust or the, the shavings or whatnot and just praying, God, would you just use me? However it would be, would you use me? And that was a defining moment inside of my life. And this series, I think, because of what it, we're talking about, has the potential to be that for a handful of us. This truly can redirect your life. It could change the trajectory, your trajectory, my trajectory, for the better. And it's not because I'm teaching it's because I believe prayer is truly just that powerful. It's something we don't talk a whole lot about, but it truly is that powerful, especially if we pray with expectancy and in honesty. And so over the next three weeks, what I want to do is I want to challenge us to pray three prayers, three simple prayers. And I want to give you a warning, okay? These are not safe prayers. These are not harmless prayers. They're not easy. They are not benign prayers. What we're simply doing is we're calling them dangerous prayers. That's what they are, but they're dangerous in a good way. So much of what we pray is generic. It is predictable. It is safe. We pray prayers like, Lord, bless me, right? Bless this meal to our bodies and bless me. It's not a bad prayer, but it's a safe prayer. Right? We say things like, Lord, help me. God, would you help me? And, and again, it's not a bad prayer, but it's a safe prayer. We say prayers like, Lord, would you protect us? You know, protect us as we travel or put a hedge of protection around us. You know, it's, it's a doubly safe prayer right there. You know, we, we pray safe prayers. And what I want to do is I want to arm us over the next few weeks with three prayers that are truly prou uh, powerful and by no means are they 
safe. And they're not safe because when we pray these prayers, what we're doing is we're asking God to take us out of our comfort zone. That's what we're doing. We're asking God to take us out of our comfort zone. Next week, the prayer that we'll be praying is break me. God, break me. And none of us truly desire to be broken. We don't desire, not, not, none of us really want that. But here's why we pray the prayer to break me. is on the other side of brokenness, there is an intimacy that you cannot receive unless you've been broken by God. Right? There is a dependence upon him that comes with brokenness. And we want that intimacy. We want that dependency. And so we're going to pray, God, would you break me next week? The following week, we're going to pray the prayer, send me. Lord, would you send me? And for some of you, get this, this is it. This is going to be it. This is going to be the prayer that instead of asking God and trying to convince him to go along with what you desire, your ways or where you're going, this would be a prayer where you say, God, I want to do whatever you want to do. I'm going to sign a blank contract that simply says, wherever, whenever, however, I'm yours. Whatever you want to do, I am yours. Here I am. Send me. That's two weeks from today. Today, what I want to do is I want to talk about a prayer equally as dangerous, which is search me. Search me, God. Search me, O God. Prayed by David in Psalm 139. It is a prayer David prayed when life was actually very difficult for him. It was hard for him. He was under persecution, and some theologians would say he was being falsely accused of certain things from his enemies. And instead of praying to God and saying, God, would you smite them? Would you smout them? Or however you say that. God, protect me. Keep me safe. What David decided to pray in the midst of this turmoil was, search me, O God. Search me, O God. And that was his prayer, and that's our prayer today. Now, there are different types of searches. Let's just be honest here. There are Google searches, job searches, TSA searches, search parties, search warrants, search history, word search, strip search, and searching for Mr. Right. I will admit that I have prayed on many times, God, would you please search me? Um, but the type of search I received, ah, oh, shoot, a little over two years ago was not the type of search I was ready for. Um, let's just call it an intestinal search. Um, and I don't know if this is too personal, right? I'm, I'm going to go there, right? We're going to go there. I feel like we've been a year and a half into this thing as a church. As your pastor, I'm going to let you a little bit in here. I'm going to tread these waters as gently as I can. But ever since my daughter passed away, my stomach has not been the same. Like, it just does not. That's, that's as far as I'm going to describe. My stomach has not been the same. And so I have been to doctor after doctor after specialist to doctor to try to figure this thing out. I've been under the normal tests that you would do. We've tried to figure out what's going on with me. Why can't I just, you know, why can't my stomach, stomach just behave? I don't even, I'm trying to be gentle here. And so I went to a specialist and they said, we should try a new type of treatment. And I'm like, okay, a new type of treatment. Let's do this thing. I'm ready for whatever. And then when I went in there like, to prepare for it, just so that you know, you prepare for like you would a colonoscopy. So some of you have experienced that. You know what I'm talking about. That's hell right there. Like the <laughs> closest thing you can get to hell is preparing for a colonoscopy. I prepared. I was ready. I walked in. I wasn't ready for what he was going to show me. He showed me this. It is a camera pill. Check this out. A real deal. You swallow it. It's a camera. It takes pictures of your digestive system from the inside. It's the size of a small pickle, you guys. <laughs> and when he put that in front of me, he said, you need to swallow this. And I'm like, that's not even possible. 
I mean, that sucker was huge. So I did it, a lot of water, and I swallowed a camera, and every one second it would flash and take a picture, and I wore this belt that had, that the, the, the pictures would be transferred into there, right? And then and I wore it for like a whole entire day, and everything, and I wasn't allowed to eat, and it just took picture after picture after picture after picture, and what was awesome is, and you're probably thinking the same thing that I thought, like when, when, uh, when it was all done, I'm like, well, dude, how am I supposed to get the camera back to you, right? <laughs> this is new technology, uh, you don't, and he's like, just, just let it go down the drain, is what he said. Just let it go down the drain. But he did say this. He said, if you happen to see it as it's about to go down the drain, lean over and wave at it, and it'll take a picture of you, and then I will see you before it goes down. <laughs> so there you go. I have prayed, God, would you search me? But that's not what the scriptures had in mind, right? David said, Lord, search me. But he wasn't asking God to search his bowels. He was searching, asking him to search his heart. And that's what we're talking about today. And so Jan, I've asked Jan if she would stand up and read this dangerous prayer. And what's beautiful about Jan is she actually leads our prayer team, which I'm, there's people that pray all throughout the week. They pray before service. Jan leads that team. So Jan, would you just shout this out? The prayer from David, Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Thank you, Jan. That is a dangerous prayer. It is a very dangerous prayer, and it can be divided into four subparts. So let's walk through those things, okay? First one is this. It's search my heart. Search my heart. That's the main premise of it. Verse 23, it says, search me, God, and know my heart. Now, the reason that we pray search my heart is not so that God can all of a sudden discover something that he didn't know that was hidden in the midst of your heart. The reason we say God search my heart is so that he can reveal to us what's inside of us that we weren't able to see on our own. And here's why. It's because the heart is deceitful. It is deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful. You've heard this phrase before, he has a good heart, right? Oh, she has a great heart. She has a good heart. That's not true. We don't have good hearts, naturally speaking. Jeremiah 17 says this about the human heart. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? God knows. And he wants us to ask him to show us how, what is deep, 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 deep down inside of us. And we need to understand that without Jesus, our hearts are bad. Uh, truly, our hearts are naturally dece deceitful. We lie. We truly do. We lie. Little white lies here, sometimes bigger lies. But we lie. But probably I would argue the biggest lie that we lie is a lie to ourselves, the most common lie. And we deceive ourselves. And I think that's what the scripture is talking about here. We'll say things like, I don't have a problem, right? I can stop at any time. I, I can stop at any time. Anytime I want, I, I can stop. Or I don't, I don't lust. I just really appreciate a nice physique. That's all. I just, I just appreciate a nice physique. Or I'm not materialistic. I just, you know, I like nice things. 
I just like a lot of nice things, or I'm not prideful. I can't help it if God made me <laughs> better than most people, right? I, I'm not prideful, or I, I, you know, I'm not a gossip. I, I mean, the reason I share is so that people will pray, right? I tell everyone so that everyone will pray. The heart is deceitful. It is naturally deceitful, and when we ask God to search it, that can be scary. It takes courage of what we are going to find. We get afraid of what we're going to be find, or find, don't we? My dad recently has had his fourth heart attack. He's only 65. 65, four heart attacks. He has had six stents put in and one quadruple bypass. He's been going to the doctor a lot lately. And every time for his heart, his heart is in bad shape. It's not fluttering right. It's not pumping right. It's fluttering. It's, we've done all these. Every time he goes to the doctor's office, he's nervous. And the reason he's nervous is because they're asking him to examine his heart again, to look at it. And each time, unfortunately, keeps coming back with bad news, bad news, bad news. And he keeps seeing it as bad news, right? And yes, it is bad news. But the, the benefit of going in is that you are aware you are aware of the reality of the conditions that you're in. And when we say, search my heart, oh God, it is dangerous because we don't want to receive bad news, right? We don't want God to say, well, your heart is like this and you need to change this because we internally don't want to change. But because God will show us things, right, that are not pure, it's not because he's cruel, but because he wants to make us aware. We don't want bad news, but the good news is that once we're aware, it points to our need for Jesus. And Jesus is the good news. He's in the business of fixing hearts. He's in the business of adjusting hearts. He's a heart surgeon. And when we are aware of it, we can go to him in those situations. And so that's the first one. The first one is search my heart, oh God. The second part of this prayer is this. Reveal my fears. That's what David is saying. Back in verse 23, he says, search me, God, and know my, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. What makes you anxious? What are you the most afraid of? And I'm not talking about spiders or snakes. I might be talking about needles because those things are ridiculous. But what makes you the most anxious, right? What are you the most afraid of? Are you afraid that you won't find a job? Are you afraid that you won't find a place to live? Are you afraid that you won't find the one and that you're going to be single for the rest of your life, right? Maybe some of you are like, well, I'm, I'm in this marriage and I'm afraid it's not gonna change. That's what I'm afraid of. Maybe, you know, a lot of us are afraid of failing. We're afraid, a lot of us are afraid of failing. Did you know some people are actually afraid of succeeding? So many people are afraid of the unknown. And so why, God, why should we ask, search my anxious thoughts? Why is this an imperative part of prayer? Here's why. Because what we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. That's huge, you guys. What we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. If I'm afraid that my marriage is going to fall apart, that means I'm not trusting God with my marriage. If I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to pay the bills, it means I'm not trusting God to be my provider. If I'm afraid that I'm going to lose a child and I'm hovering over them and I'm a helicopter parent and protecting them, it means I'm not, you know, I'm not trusting God with my children. Now, I'm not saying that those things will not happen. I'm not saying that, you know, 
Your marriage won't fall apart. I'm not saying that you won't lose a child. What I am saying is we don't have to live in fear of that. Not through Jesus. What we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. He says, test me, right? Know my anxious thoughts. This week, as I've been preparing for this message, I truly have been praying this prayer over and over again every single day. And I realized that there was a point in my life right after my, my daughter stepped into heaven where I felt the most fearless that I have ever felt in my life. We had walked through the hardest thing that I feel like a human could possibly walk through. And God carried us through that process. And, he made, and we made it through there. Not, we're still processing that, just so you know. It's not over, but I mean, the majority of it, we just, the, the, the intensity of it, we made it through that point. And I felt fearless. And that was at that point where I'm like, God, what do you have for me? I will do whatever it is. Whatever it is, I will do it. And he said, start a church. So we started a church, and here we are right now. But as I was praying this week, I feel like an old fear has found its way back into, I mean, just being honest here, this is just personal, this is just me. Maybe it's not important to you, but this is, this is me. An old fear has snuck its way back into my heart into a degree, and that fear has been common in my life up to that point. And that is that I'm not enough, that I wouldn't be enough. I won't have what it takes I'm, as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, Right? never done this before. I don't really know what I'm doing, right? Don't tell anyone, but I don't know what I'm doing. And that's a real issue for me, right? Because as a leader of a church, I cannot be driven by fear. I need to be led by faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so I felt like God was saying this week to me personally, Jake, I still got you. It's okay, I still got you. I'm still with you. He says, my grace, Jake, is sufficient for you, meaning that I'm enough, that I am enough, for my great power is made perfect in what? In my weakness. So when I am the worst, God shines the most. And you guys, I think it's okay to be honest about our fears. In fact, I think it helps. Because too many of us are dressing up in this season. We're playing Halloween. It is trick or treat. This is me. And we're wearing a mask, right? And we're just, and, and we're so afraid that if we take that off and we show people who we really are, that we would experience rejection. And so we keep it on and we play Halloween and we hide and we conceal and we protect ourselves. The problem in doing that is that people get to know your mask and they never get to know you. And we never experience true intimacy. And we never experience true freedom. We never experience true joy. We never experience true love if we're wearing these masks all the time. My suggestion is we drop the mask. We all know we wear them, so why do we keep wearing them? Let's just drop them and experience the love that God has for us. Here's what the disciple John said. He said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. That perfect love, that's Jesus. The apostle Paul said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. What we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. And so what do we do? We pray, God, search my heart. Like, dive into me. 
and then reveal what my fears are. And then probably the third part is the scariest part. Here we go. Uncover my sins. That's the next thing that David says in his prayer. This is a dangerous prayer, you guys. He's saying, uncover my sins. Bring them to the surface. You ever heard that illustration that sin cannot be held down for long? It's like a beach ball that you're playing in the water, right? And eventually it's going to find its way up. What you got to simply do is release it and say, God, uncover my sins. Here's what David says. He says, see if there are any offensive way in me. See if there's any offensive way in me. Guys, it is so easy to see sin in somebody else, but it's so hard to see it in ourselves, is it not? What we simply do is we have a tendency to accuse others and to excuse ourselves. That's what happens. This literally happened to me in February. I didn't even realize it until the end of the day. My kids, we just had a new baby, right? So we're trying to get sleep and we're trying to get the baby to sleep because that's what we need. We need the baby to sleep so that we could have peace and relaxation and calm in the house. That's what we wanted. But we have two other kids who like to yell and scream and run through the house. So they make a lot of noise. So at some point, I got a little frustrated when I had to ask them for the 14th time to be quiet around Monty's room. And I said, be quiet. You need to be quiet, quiet, quiet. I don't want peace. I want quiet, right? And so I went to Paisley and I said to her, I remember saying this, you're being selfish. You're wanting to do what you're doing and you're not considering the feelings of others. You're being selfish. Said that in the middle of the day. At the end of the day, and I'm talking like two o'clock in the morning. I was doing something that I probably shouldn't be doing, which is I'm, I'm a little ambitious. And so I was, we bought a new house. We have a new baby. We have a new house. And so what we're doing is I'm literally working on my house. I'm, I'm doing project work in my house. Um, but I have my power tools out on the front porch. It's two o'clock in the morning. I'm running a chop saw. I know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm running a chop saw at two in the morning and I'm thinking to myself, I'll just cut really fast. You know, each time I go out there. The first time I met my neighbor was at 2 a.m. when she came out of the house and politely asked me with words I cannot repeat to shut off the saw right now. And I, I'm like, when I heard her yelling, I can't believe my first response is, are you talking to me? Like, <laughs> there's nobody else around, right? It's two in the morning. Everybody's asleep. I'm running the chop saw. I said, I'm so sorry, right? And then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm being so selfish, right? I am being selfish. I'm wanting to get this done for me and I'm not caring about the others that are around me. Oh my gosh, how the kettle is black, Right? It truly is. And in that moment, I now here to finish the story, I felt so bad, so convicted. The next day I came here, I was way upset. And then I'm like, oh, my neighbors hate me. We're supposed to be loving our neighbors. And this is not a good start, right? So we took flowers, my daughter and I. I took my daughter for reinforcements. Cute little daughter. <laughs> reinforcements. And we go down and we give her flowers and we say we're sorry. And she invited us in and she gave us you know, treats and everything it was great, right? So we're all good now. But I was selfish, right? Lord, uncover my sins. Uncover my sins. Now, here's three questions to help you along with this prayer. If you're having trouble to figure out what is it, where is it that my sins are, here are three questions that are helpful to pray. Here it is. Number one, ask this question. What are others trying to tell me? That's the first one. 
What are others trying to tell me? In other words, if there are two or more people that have brought something up to you, pay attention. It's time to pay attention to what they are saying because there's a common denominator here and that is you in this piece. And so a question to ask is what are others trying to tell me? Another one is what have I rationalized for some time? So for example, you say, yeah, I've heard that before, but it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. Yeah, I got it, but I'm handling it. I'm handling it. No worries. I, I get it. That could be a problem, but guess what? I'm not hurting anybody. Nobody's getting hurt from this. It's not a big deal. Nobody, so you rationalize what it is that's going on in your world. Last question is this. Where am I the most defensive? In other words, when somebody brings this topic up that other people have brought multiple times, and you say, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there at all. It's not, no, no, I don't want to talk about it. You don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what you are talking about. Now, I'm, we're not talking about this, not now. Those are three questions that can help you to uncover the sin that are inside of your life. The sin that we so struggle to see even in ourselves. So struggle to see. And here's what's amazing. When we do that, God is faithful. When we pray, God reveal, uncover my sin. When we do that, God will reveal something. And whatever is revealed, whatever is shown, whatever sin surfaces, the beautiful part of all that is that it points to Jesus. It always points to Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can deal with sin. He's the only one that can deal with sin. If it's addiction, right? If it's an addiction, only through his power can we be freed from that addiction. If it's pride, then it's his perspective. When we stand tall next to God, we are miles below what he is. It brings us a perspective of humility. If it's lust, then it's his truth that would come and to renew our mind in that. If it's materialism, it's that we would fall so in love with him that he is the only thing that we would absolutely need. Whatever it is, it always points to Jesus. And again, the best part is that when we recognize our need for him, when we realize this desperate need, when it is revealed, we are compelled to confess at that point in time. We're compelled to confess. When we truly see our need, we are compelled to confess. Con confess. There are two types of confession. One, there's confession to God, which is for forgiveness. And two, confession to people, which is for healing. Let me explain. To confess to God for forgiveness, we've heard this, this before, some of us. Um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He is faithful and just to do what? And to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. What does God do? He forgives us. And in Jesus, you will always find grace. He's so quick to offer grace. Isn't that great news? That's amazing. So we confess to God for forgiveness and we confess to people for healing. Here's what it is. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that, here it is, you might be healed. That's why we have groups, you guys. That's why we try to do community here. It's so that we could pray together, that we could share, we can, we can connect with one another on that deeper level. And when we do need to confess, we can confess to one another. And from that community, we find that, oh man, you're messed up and I'm messed up. We're all messed up. We're all messed up together. And that starts to bring in healing. And so we confess to God for forgiveness. We confess to others for healing. Last part of the prayer and then we're done. The last thing, Jesus 
what he says first, is, or what, what or sorry, not Jesus, but what David says is he says, search my heart, right? Reveal my fears. And then he says that we need to uncover my sins, or please uncover my sins, and then lead me. Back to verse 24, it says, lead me. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You guys, I've said it a zillion times. This is a scary, scary prayer because it's vulnerable. It's dangerous. When we say, Lord, take the lead, it's like saying, Lord, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. And when we, he takes the wheel, right, we lose control or we feel like we lose control. And nobody likes to feel like their life is out of control. Well, newsflash, the, new, the like, obvious truth that we all choose to ignore is that we never had control in this life. We never had control. The older I get, the more I realize that control is an illusion. And so why not hand over what control we do have to the one who controls all things to lead us into a way everlasting? That means lead us right to the doorstep of heaven and then right on in. It means lead us forever. What I do know for sure is I know that Jesus is a good leader. Jesus is a powerful leader. Jesus is a merciful leader. Three quarters of this prayer is about being vulnerable, right? And he's merciful in that. You can trust him that he's going to be gentle, that he's going to be kind. The last part of it is lead me, Lord. And he is a good leader because he has our best in mind. God truly has our best in mind. When I was growing up, I didn't ride bicycles all the time. I had motorcycles out where I was. And so before I uh, we even got into training wheels, I had a little YZ60, little Yamaha. And my dad had a Mako 500, dirt bikes, beautiful. They're amazing. And so the way we would go, we'd go camping, we would go um, on trips, we'd do little poker runs where we would go and ride bikes together through trails and whatnot. And the way that it worked is I never got to lead. And the reason I didn't get to lead is because I had no idea where I was going. I was, you know, I was in elementary school. And, and my dad, who, when he put on that helmet and he stood by his big bike, was the most majestic man I've ever seen in my life, right? Unbelievable. He gets on his motorcycle. He takes off. What was my job? To follow him, right? That's all I had to do. I had to follow him. Dad, you lead. I follow you. And that's what he would say. He'd say, stay behind me. Now, the problem with staying behind a Mako 500 when you're going through mud and through trails is it throws up a lot of mud, a lot of dirt up into the air. And we'd go through water. We would go through trail. I mean, it was amazing. and I loved it. But every time we would come back, every time, I asked my mom to find a picture and, and she wasn't able to find a picture. But every time we would come back, my dad would be standing by his bike and we'd take a picture and I'd be standing by my bike and I am completely covered in mud, like from head to toe. Like one, like that's all it is. I mean, the only thing that you can see eyes, because I pulled out my goggles and that's it right there. And that's, and I had a yellow motorcycle, but now it's brown. And, and, and that was the way it was. And the, when I led close to my dad, that was the, that was the evidence that I let him lead, was that when I came back, I was covered in mud. There's an expression that was said, um, let the dust of the rabbi fall on you. Let the dust of your rabbi rest on you. And that was that you would follow so close to the one that was leading you back in that day, that follow so close to Jesus that the dust of his sandals and the dust of that environment would land upon you. 
That's what we want, right? We want to follow so close to Jesus that there's evidence all over us that we are following him, that we are his kid, right? That he is the one that we are following as close as we can. And Jesus is a good leader. He doesn't lead us astray. We may go through twists and turns. It may be difficult. We may lose sight of him at times, but we catch right back up and he's right there around the corner waiting for us. That's what my dad did. If I got too far ahead, he'd stop, let me catch up, right? And if we were going to go through these big, huge hills or these big things, he'd wait. And then he'd, he'd help me to get up those hills or he'd help me to go through that mud. I mean, it was amazing. Same thing with Jesus. He wants to help you. He wants to guide you. He wants to be right there for you. And so that's our prayer this week, you guys. It is simple. Search my heart. Reveal my fears. Uncover my sin. And then Jesus, lead me. And when we have the courage to pray a kind of prayer like that, it will change the trajectory of our life for the better. Prayer is powerful. And so here's my challenge. Here's my ask for this week. I'm asking you to commit to praying this prayer every single day this week. What is this prayer? You can write it down. It is Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. I'll say it again. Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. If you want to read the entire Psalms 139, it's an amazing prayer David had. It's more expanded. But I would love it if we could pray, God, search me every single day this week. And if we do, I promise, here's what's great. God will not only reveal something that we had not been able to see, but that revelation is evidence of an opportunity that we have to draw closer to him and to let him lead, to deepen our intimacy with him. And so let's pray that this week. Search me, O oh God. Search me, God. If you are brave enough, if you have the courage enough to do something like, if you're ready, I would challenge you to pray that type of dangerous prayer. If you are, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to close our time together by praying that prayer. All right, the words will be on the screen. So let's read it together. If, now again, if that's where your heart is at. It says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any, and lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus, that is our prayer. Prayer, Lord, is that you would lead us in the way everlasting right up to the doorstep of heaven. Oh, for now, Lord, search us. Search our heart. Help us with our fears. Help us to, just help us in our sins. You're the only one that can. So God, search us to the deep parts of our being that we keep hidden from so many people, even from ourselves. Reveal them to us so that we may hand them over to you that we may confess our sins to you, that you may forgive us and we may lead you with a restored heart, not a deceptive heart, a restored heart, which is what you do. Thank you for doing that, Lord. We love you in your name. Amen.